Welcome everyone to the Modern Day Overthinker podcast. My name is Colin and I am your host. Today's episode, tonight's episode, whenever you're listening, is with Veronica Memoir. And I appreciate you being here today. Thanks for having me. In my very warm house because I have to turn the AC off (laughs) and it's like 90 degrees outside. So I appreciate that. And uh, we met through comedy and we were able to hang out once and kind of talk about life and things in general. And hopefully one day she has her own podcast too. That's the goal, right? Yep, that's the goal. That would be cool. Um, And surprisingly, there's a shortage of podcasts, not a shortage of podcasts, but like it's still like uh, it's not oversaturated. So now's the time to start a podcast if you're thinking about it. Just be consistent. Uh but Veronica, I wanted to give you a chance to introduce yourself. You're like me, who has many titles and backgrounds and all kinds of things. So I wanted to give you the floor to introduce yourself. Great. Well, thank you. It's really exciting to be here. Um, it's been great getting to know you and the other, like the, the general comedy community out here. Um, I've recently gotten into comedy less than six months ago. So I'm still kind of reinventing myself as a person and creating this character um, that I use ultimately. Um, Getting into comedy, though, was kind of a way to kill kill writer's block for me. I've been writing a book for the last 10 years that's about a lot of trauma and mental health and overcoming some of those challenges. And doing stand-up has allowed me to make light of some really dark situations. Yeah, share some of those stories. Yeah, and be able to take a different lens on it, which has helped me write in my other capacity. Um, but I, I do a lot. I've recently left the corporate worlds and it's been a freeing and humbling experience over the last few months Mm -hmm. and, um, going through a divorce. So also trying to reestablish a community where I live through not only stand up, but also volunteering. I come from a, a long dance background, music background. So also trying to figure out like, how can I use my skills and talents to bring people together? Um, so I think I'm just getting started and still figuring out what I'm going to do when I grow up. <laughs> well, welcome. Thank because you. that's me as well. Uh, continuously on that journey. So <laughs> I totally understand that. So the comedy thing, how did, uh, obviously you said you got into it for the creative aspect of it and to be able to share some of those stories. You're not originally from the Quad Cities, so you started doing comedy outside of the Chicago area, around the Chicago yeah, the area. the Chicagoland area, the suburbs, primarily where my, my mom and stepdad are at uh, and, and all of my friends and family. So when I had a big drop in my career and I had all of this abundant time, I wanted to kind of reconnect with my friends and family. And instead of having a poor pity party, I decided to just jump on stage and objectively share all of the stuff that was going on into my life. And I got a good reaction to it and stand up became pretty addicting. There's also really limited marketing and opportunities to find comedy in the Quad Cities if you're not from here and know people. So how I met you and some of the other mics, I had no idea that existed until I was asking questions with people in the area and going down a rabbit hole on social media yeah, from trying to make that was posted yeah. you know, back in February. And I didn't really get started until June out here. So it's been an interesting comparison to doing 
stand up in comedy and getting started in a very saturated competitive community mm-hmm. out in Chicago versus out here, which is still there's some competition and there's definitely a community, but it's very much very smaller. different. Yeah, much, it's very different. Much smaller, and honestly, I I don't see it as very competitive. Like that's not really. I mean, there's some people that have the competitive aspect to it, but we're pretty supportive for the most part mm-hmm. of most of the comedians. Obviously, you're going to have drama every once in a while in any community, but we try to support each other the best we can and get each other on shows and, yeah. you know, go to each other's shows. I try to go to other people's shows when I don't have something going on, things like that. So I think that's very important. But yeah, we're just getting started when it comes to, it seems like, as much comedy as we've been doing over the years, because I've only been doing it for a couple of years, and there's just been a growth. I heard somebody, I'm in a group chat with a bunch of comedians, say that like just within the last couple of years, it took like 10 years for us to start getting like press. Like mm-hmm. people were actually giving us time on air to talk about our shows, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Yeah. And there's been a couple of people that have been able to open up that door for us, which is really cool. And really, it's all about just asking and putting yourself out there. And, yeah. uh, you know, my with my background in marketing, I've noticed a lot of different stuff that uh, we can do better on. So that way, people who want to try this uh, know where to go. And um, or if they just want to watch, you know, they know where to they know where to go see comedy because there's stuff happening every weekend now. Yeah. So which is awesome. And. Just to uh, segue, take a step back, uh, as far as when you started doing stand-up before that, you said you were in a marriage, so you moved here because you married someone from the area. Yeah, I came out to the Quad Cities for my first master's degree, and I met my soon-to-be ex-husband while both working there, and I had lived out here for almost two years, then moved back to the Chicagoland area for a job that I found, Mm -hmm. and... Over time, my ex ended up getting a job whose headquarters was based out of the Chicago suburbs. We reconnected, dated long distance, and then I moved to the Quad Cities for our relationship. So I've been permanent out here since 2015. Okay. But it seems like you're just now getting to know the area. You were kind of... Yeah. Well, you worked a lot and you were you know in a relationship and you're also a mother, so... Mm-hmm busy with all of that and now you're kind of have a little bit and now that you're not working all the time because we've talked about that you were kind of a workaholic there for a little bit yeah still kind of a workaholic just not with one entity at this point yeah but yeah my before all of my community was associated with my ex-husband whether it was his family or friends and that's became my social group and because I worked from home or was traveling for my job I didn't really get a chance to build my own community for myself out here so it just feels like I moved out here for the first time since I since I moved to Iowa yeah that makes sense because yeah you're starting from scratch but yeah I'm sorry the first people that you're getting to know are us comedians. It's the best people. That's, <laughs> we're, we're that's the weird, people. We're the weirdest we're the weirdest group of people. Um It feels like home though, and I think that's what I'm looking for is like truly is I'm looking it's been so hard having a really successful career and having all of these like, you know, sought after credentials in a professional sense that it can make it actually very hard to just humbly meet and interact 
other people without them having a sense of judgment or um, a preconceived image of who you're going to be based off of the work that you do. So introducing myself as a comedian with other comedians literally wipes myself clean where it's just people yeah. meeting people. And it's actually been incredibly refreshing. And also, if you look up Veronica Memoir, you're not going to find anything besides comedy. Yeah. And, <laughs> Because that is a stage name, correct? It is a stage yeah. name. Yes, well, I already knew that, but um, I have a story as to how I got the stage. Yeah, name, I want to know how. I want to know how that name came about. So, um, one thing that I've shared since doing stand up is, and part of the reason I started writing a book is when I was nineteen, twenty years old, I secretly started working in a strip club, and took the name Veronica as my stage name. Okay. And I had an association with Veronica because growing up, I was really obsessed with reading the Archie, Betty and Veronica comic book series. Okay. And I developed like this dual personality of being like the very goody two shoes, blonde people pleaser Betty, but also wanting to have this like voluptuous sexual male attention Veronica that yeah. had a lot of power but didn't have to try for anything. And so that stuck with me. And as I was going through a lot of the experiences that I talk about in my book, I titled the book, The Veronica Memoirs. Mm. And that has been the title for many, many years. And deciding to do stand-up and not wanting to use my real name because I... I'm not safe for work when anyone yeah. comes to see me. They're very surprised. Yeah, I've kind of pigeonholed myself <laughs> using my real name. But, uh, yeah, Yeah. so ha- being able to kind of have that name and then realize that the stories that I'm talking about on stage are actually in the book, the Veronica Memoirs, having the name Veronica Memoir, I almost am living as a character, as a sense of fiction in a way, because I'm my book in in terms of how I am as a comedian. And I'm learning to expand that a little bit, but it's very comforting being referred to as Veronica again, because so much of my life, I responded to Veronica more than my original name, because you'd be surprised how many, how often you're not actually addressed by your first name when you're with someone, especially when you're in close proximity or in a close relationship with them. So being in a club or being on stage, being called Veronica, I respond to much faster than my real name, actually. Yeah, you're just kind of a bug. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, so you're just used to that. So you said you were secretly doing it. What's the story behind this secretly secret hiding it from everyone? Everyone. Yeah. So okay. I was a stripper twice. Uh, the second time was even more surprising for many people. But I, my whole life, I've had to keep secrets. I grew up in a really dysfunctional home. My father was a sociopath, and a form of protection was that my family basically lied to the outside world of either what was happening on the outside or we lied to each other as a means of protecting each other in a sense like your Um, image image but also um risk of someone else getting hurt or abused or withholding information because it felt safer so there wasn't necessarily malice behind all of it but it was a adopted behavior that I realize now after going through years of therapy was really conditioned just in my household. So there's also a lot of shame that comes with those types of lines of work of being a stripper, sex worker in any, in any sense. And I grew up in a very conservative and somewhat religious home. Mm -hmm. And so I just 
didn't tell anybody or very few people knew. Um, and especially the second time that I Did went into Did you go outside it. the area to do it too? So the first time I was somewhat local, it was in the Chicago suburbs. It was a much cleaner, safer club. Um, but I, I wore a black wig. I changed my name. So I, it was e- not as easy to be identified mm-hmm. as who you see today. Yeah. And the second time I also drove even further and was close to the Indiana border where I was living in the Chicagoland area. So it was about an hour and a half, two hour commute each way. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause I know a lot of, a lot of girls travel or go outside their area for the different reasons, whether it's a better club or like if they, you know, don't want to be recognized. Yeah. And it's also less likely for someone to follow you home if you're not within 30 minutes of the club. Yeah. Safety reasons, Safety too. for sure. Yeah. So although I think it's arguable as to how what safety you're trading for not being followed home versus the clientele, the location of the club, that type of thing. Because yeah. the second club I worked at um, was much darker and much... Sketchier. Much sketchier, yeah. 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 So you stopped for, for how long and kind of why did you get out of it the first time? The first time was a lot of guilt. I was in college. One moment I realized is I was in art school. And in art school, you have to do a lot of self-portraits. And part of that is looking in a mirror and Mm. staring at yourself and then drawing what you see. And the last series of doing self-portraits as I was finishing my degree, I could not recognize myself in the mirror when I wasn't Veronica, mm. even in my dreams, there would be Veronica. But when you're in a strip club, you're surrounded by mirrors, you're staring at yourself, you're finessing your image to be appealing yeah. to your clients. Yeah. And I really had a hard time doing that and seeing myself in regular daylight. And I realized there was something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I also never wanted to be in a relationship when I was a dancer um, and that was mainly because it was, I felt disrespectful. I okay. wouldn't want to be with a guy that was totally fine dating a stripper, but I also, which is a weird paradox in itself, but in the moment I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be with someone that was like, oh yeah, my girl's stripping and it's fine and not have that be an interesting element yeah. in the relationship. And part of me was like, I can't be in a relationship when I'm doing that because it feels incredibly disrespectful and it's not what I would want. In a, in a real relationship. So, yeah. and because it was a secret and I was going to school on paper, I've always had another job. I've always had taxable income. Mm-hmm. So it was keeping that piece quiet and then wanting to have a, a singular life. There's been so many occurrences for me where I have these like dual lives and these secrets or these other unusual, always in entertainment. Um, I just wasn't being honest with myself, but going back to like not wanting to be pulled in two different, very different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also goes back to a lot of those were because I was a people pleaser and I was doing things that I thought was going to make other people happy, or I was protecting people from information that could hurt them. Uh, yeah. And also another interesting thing you told me about that lifestyle is you did all of this sober. Yeah. I was a Which sober stripper. I've never done any drugs. I never got high before work, never drank at work. I never took a drink. I was I had my 21st birthday while working in a strip club, and I didn't drink. That is 
I just wild. ask people to, somebody to like, who get me into to my drink body a lot. That <laughs> yeah, is... I've never been a drinker. Um, it, I think part of it is I've, I've always had decent self-awareness in certain things. And I know that if I would have allowed myself to drink or try hard drugs, I would have liked it. Yeah. And so I just didn't give myself permission to do that because I would, I could still have a fulfilling life without doing it, but it kept me as an introvert. Like people didn't socialize or I was the buzzkill or, you know, the yeah, yeah. Block, whatever, like depending on the circumstance, but sober stripper, but a lot, that helps me make a lot of money. Oh yeah. Cause you're paying, you're so you're, much attention. I was yeah. doing, studying sociology so and aware. behavior of people yeah. and I've been able to, I mean, a, a lot of trauma. You had an edge. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I, I had an advantage. And growing up, I think with a lot of trauma and becoming hyper vigilant, I was so hyper aware of the people around me and the faces and, and all of that. Um, I netted myself very well when I was younger, but it was surprising for a lot of people to find that I was, I didn't do any drugs and I didn't drink and I didn't have any kids. And, yeah. um, and I had a very normal life on paper. It's just, it's, I've always liked being bad. I yeah, liked yeah. being a little, I always liked being a little deviant, but never allowed myself to be actually deviant where there was true risk or consequence, whether it came to like STDs, addiction, poverty, that type of stuff. I just never, um, I've been, always been able to think a little bit ahead where I understood what the consequence was. And sometimes I'm still very reckless, ADHD, impulse control, but um, oh, it is Fourth of July. Almost Fourth of July. So if anybody hears fireworks in the background, that is why. <laughs> yeah, it may, it may, it probably won't pick it up that much, but okay. it'll that's distract. So it might distract us. I am ADD too. Yeah. So. But so I think a lot of I think that's also my impulse decisions came. A lot of these amazing experiences um, that most people haven't had in their life was due to me just kind of winging it and being okay. I'm like, well, let's try it. Who cares? I'm not here to be with anyone or impress anybody. Um, and I liked being bad. Like I liked having, it's com. There's always been a comfort for me having a dark secret, mm. but that kind of goes back to a lot of the healing process that I've done and understanding the self-sabotage that has come with that. So let's talk a little bit about um, your what your podcast is going to be about because you do a web well like an instagram live series that you started Mm -hmm. about masochism and i honestly had to look it up because honestly i didn't know much about it i'd heard the word before but i was like "Ah, what is this because i Mm -hmm. you know i've heard all kinds of different um things and you know you my memory is not as good as it used to be. And I was like, oh, I got to look that up. And I looked it up. I was like, oh, and I've never met somebody that labeled themselves as a ma- masochist. Maybe most people have it and they don't want to talk about it or they hide it or whatever. Or they think masochism is limited to just Certain like, sexual behaviors yeah. or t- preferences when that's definitely not, not the, the case. case. I, that's a behavior that can become exhibited through being a masochist. But true masochism is like just self-defeating behavior and patterns where... Self-sabotage type of stuff? Self-sabotage, 100%. And in many different ways, um, I think a big example are people that tend to be people pleasers, people that want to project a really good or accomplished image, which I've definitely done overachiever, 
to the point where I would be risking losing all of that, which is like the same level of anxiety and discomfort that comes with masochism is knowing, oh, I'm doing this crazy thing that could throw it all away. It's totally self-defeating. So yeah, there's a lot of elements that come from being a masochist. And it took me a really long time to go into therapy seriously to learn that about myself. Um, I was in therapy for about 10 years on a weekly basis, up until very recently, um, addressing PTSD from complex PTSD from a whole series of trauma, but then one particular event that just really changed me and made me have to force myself to ask myself, why am I putting myself in these environments? Why am I risking my safety? Why am I lying to all the people that care about me? And eventually learned methods of healing, self-awareness, and ownership of how I can change my life. So that in that particular event was something you were, was that during your second stint of yeah. of working at the club? Yeah. Okay. So the last time I worked in a strip club, the last time I've ever been inside of one, I witnessed a murder <sighs> and I witnessed someone being stabbed to death. And it was a buildup over a few weeks prior, there were two women that went missing in the club. Mm. And one of them was found a few miles from the club. But I was working on my MBA, my second master's degree, working in a good paying job downtown Chicago, but still was going back on these nights to work in this club, knowing that these girls were gone, knowing that the energy was shifting. And it literally took me witnessing that and being a witness in a real murder case, not as Veronica, for me to wake up and realize what am I doing and what am I putting myself in? And so I had to work backwards in therapy to address a lot of the things, not only heal and get back to a regular state, um, but also not only witnessing a murder, there was many other things that actually happened within a like six to eight month period around that, that just compiled madness. And um, it was a hard thing because it was also a secret. My best friend didn't know I was doing I was working with my best friend downtown Chicago, and she didn't know what I was doing. I recently told her. Mm. So again, like years and years of secrets and holding a lot of these things in and no one knowing why you're acting the way that you are, other than thinking that you're unhinged, but because you I've been so good at keeping secrets to myself. I never told anyone um, for a long time. And so now is the first time where literally it's all out on the table mm-hmm. and it feels good, but it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people judgment. are going to react. Yeah. And have you, as far as like close family members, like I know you said you don't have a, much of a relationship with your dad. Is that correct? Yeah. So I, I did not have a good relationship with my dad and he's been passed. He also died in 2015. Okay. Um, so there's been a lot of healing with that too. And, and being able to let go of a bunch of things since I can Was there ever a point in your life where, you, you know, you and your dad had a good relationship maybe when you were growing up or was it no. always kind of like, Ugh. no, I mean, I, I knew my dad was always mentally ill Okay. Um, but he was incredibly violent and yeah. And he, I mean, he was a sociopath and there's a lot of stories that I could get into that like can signify an actual sociopath versus just someone that was mean and selfish. Um, he was, he was very unwell 
and um, I, he was sick. I found out he was sick for a few years prior before he died. And I, I heard through the family that he may be going into hospice. So I have a half brother. Um, my father had a family before he met my mother and had me. So not a result of a first marriage. And um, he, my half brother and I met when I was in my early twenties and we were thinking about trying to make amends with my dad and maybe see him before he left. Um, but my dad didn't want to see us. So I have no, I haven't seen my dad. Like, I think I didn't see my dad for maybe eight or so years prior to him passing away. Ah, yeah. So he was just like, no, was he like, it's too late or you don't really know. I don't really know. I think initially he may not have been as unwell as he wanted. He had, he sought a lot of attention and glorified his ailments to get attention or support, whether emotionally or financially from family or other people. So I'm not sure it was, um, I didn't want as much as I've always wanted to like be able to forgive and heal and like have a relationship with my dad. It just, it was never possible. Mm. And I, I just had to learn and accept that I was doing myself a favor by not keep trying. Yeah. Yeah. It was a losing battle basically. Yeah. Yeah. So your mom got remarried. So when did she break everything off with your dad? Um, I was, I, I was well out of the house. I moved out when I was 16. Okay. Um, but I was in my 20, I was maybe 1920. I mean, when I was first a stripper. Um, but my mom, my, my parents' divorce took over six years. Damn. It was awful. And my dad lived in the house for most of the time. Yikes. So my mom met my stepdad through a mutual colleague's husband type thing. And, um, they met and were, my mom was very slow about it just because she had been in a very terrible relationship for mm-hmm. over 20 years. Cautious. Yes. And, um, but they just had their- Was that her, her first marriage? No. Okay. So um, she had been married before. Yes. Yeah, so no other children, but I my mom- I was trying to like backtrack. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, here's, here's where I come from. My mother was on her third marriage when she married my dad at 28. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's so much to yeah. I could dive into that, but yeah, yeah. but yeah. But my dad had a previous marriage that was arranged, legend has it. Um arranged. he was from Sicily. Oh. And um so I have two half brothers from my dad's first marriage, but I was they stopped associating with my father when I was young. And out of all four of my father's children, none of them have anything to do with him and had nothing to do with him for over 10, 15 years before he passed away. Oh, wow. So I, I think that's usually a sign if, if both. Yeah. Families, if it wasn't just you. Yeah. Yeah. There's something yeah. going on. Even if it was just you, you know, you could have been the only one that noticed there's sure. two, that's those only situations. Girl, which was not helpful in my case. Um, but yeah, it was just a lot of turbulence. And I think my parents had a lot of unhealed trauma and they didn't know how to communicate work. And so that was my example. And I repeated that. And I think part of it was I knew I wanted to heal and become the person that I know that I am. But really also becoming a parent has allowed me to be so intentional about that and know that I don't want to pass that on to my kid. So 
it's kind of breaking the cycle of just generational trauma and choosing to do the work that is normally uncomfortable because changing your behaviors on a subconscious level is incredibly uncomfortable. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's very, very uncomfortable. But rewarding. Yeah. Rewarding. It takes work and that's, hats off to you for that much therapy because that's very consistent for that long. I mean, I, I think there's something to call out though is I have been in a very fortunate position for the last few years because I've built a great education track and career for myself that mm-hmm. gave me a job with really good insurance yeah. that had mental oh, yeah. health coverage. Yeah. And so that's why it's it's easier said than done because if it you is. don't have the resources for that, how do you do that without the discipline of just reading self-help books? And I also worked with a coach outside of just going to a therapist and again, like, I was in a very blessed situation where I could do that and had the resources for it, where I don't think many people can. And I think it's also why having the live streams, building a podcast, being able to talk to people that don't have those resources, there's something to be said about that because I think it's very easy to ridicule yourself or feel, get in a darker place when you want to get better, but you just can't do it because you don't have what it takes to do that work. So... But I'm very fortunate. Yeah. But I am proud of myself because I was very committed to it. And yeah, still, chose yeah. to change my life. Despite all the the access to the resources, like there's plenty of people that have access to the resources as well sure. that don't take advantage of them. Sure. So there's the other side of the coin. But yeah, I know what you're talking about with as far as like Yeah, some of that stuff is uh yeah, you have to have good insurance, or if you don't have good insurance, or if you don't have insurance at all, it's very expensive. Mm-hmm. It's a whole thing, and I've I've gone through it myself, and um, yeah, it's unfortunate. But that's why things like this, like this podcast, and people doing uh, what you're doing, and interacting and sharing your story, and being open and honest about it, is very important because people can hear something, even if it's just like a little tidbit of your story, and be like, "Oh, I mm-hmm. can relate to that." So they'd be like, "Oh." Maybe, yeah, this isn't just me dealing with this issue because mental health is very tricky and it can very, it can easily trick people into believing that they're not, um, that they're dealing with something that no one else has dealt with or that they're a burden by bringing it up to anyone. I even go through that with myself and I've done a lot of work and talk about mental health all the time. Sure. Where I am the person, I like to be the person that, people can share things with but then i get so like into that where i don't really focus on me sharing my stuff with Mm -hmm. other people and i've noticed that uh recently where i was like i haven't felt it this weekend i was around a lot of people and um i went to a recovery convention where there was like i don't know if we surpassed a thousand but i would say over 500 people were there wow and um, just surrounded by people and, you know, plenty of people that care, even if I've never met them. That's just the atmosphere of this whole convention. And I didn't open up to anyone or mm-hmm. talk about myself at all, uh, about what I was. I did a little bit, but not. it was kind of on the surface. And it was more like topic based because we'd have like little meetings and things like that. But I didn't get into like, you know, how I've been feeling lately and. I need to do that more and um, not just on social media, but also in real life. 
How have uh, you been doing? Uh, <laughs> you're going to put me on the spot there. Okay, all right. This will see. My show. Um, we can talk about it later. No, I, I, I will deflect with humor immediately, as you noticed. Um, I've been doing okay. Like, I've just been hyper-focused on, like, what I want to do. Like, we said, what I want to be when I grow up. Um, you know, working a pretty pretty stressful job um it has its days i mean but i work in customer service i work with you know i work with employee benefits and um it can be very very mentally taxing Mm -hmm. and i also i'm trying to start my own business but i'm running into a wall where i'm like i don't know why i'm not doing what it takes to really get that business off the ground i'm kind of stalling um and Mm. i think it's just because of my energy and um maybe some fear of fear of failing again i've failed i've had a failed business before and i don't really want to do that again but um i mean that's kind of like a masochistic tendency though right where you know the work that you have to do and it's scary yeah but there's also the fear of success that was something that i learned yeah my coach fear of success is another thing too like yeah because it's uh i am worried uh part of me in the back of my mind is concerned like if i get to a certain level of success doing anything i do whether that's the comedy the podcast or the social media business uh, is if what happens to my recovery, if I, I mm. will probably have to deal with, you know, what other or not like, oh, I am good now. I or my mind trying to convince me that I'm good to use again or whatever. Sure. So that's a fear that I was just I always have a constant mentality that i'm never doing enough that's just always on my mind (laughs) like yeah and uh people will hear that um this is going to be released after the episode i recorded with uh my new friend tabitha who has a podcast called deck diaries and they're releasing the episode on wednesday and her and her co-host just laid into me oh really (laughs) like in a good way um like in a caring way about just how much I just kick my own ass on a daily sure. basis. And uh, I can't wait to listen to it uh, because I need to hear that and uh, I need people to call me out. And I still don't do well with compliments. I don't do well with like people saying that I'm doing a good job at something or even in comedy saying I'm funny. I'm like, are they just saying that just to be nice to me or so that I getting... voice in your head, that mindset. I mean that you'll get a lot out of masochist Mondays. I think in yeah. terms of understanding, like there is that self-talk, but then choosing not to do anything about it when you're aware that you are speaking to yourself or thinking in a certain way and still not taking action. And part of it is like the failure or even just the level of emotion that you experience with disappointment, even if it's not disappointment, the intensity feels comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's, I find myself very similar where I, there's a lot I want to do, but when you take a minute to stop, you do a lot. Oh yeah. You a do lot, a lot. A lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, it could be, I can, I overwhelm myself a lot. Um, 
And, but there's also a part of me where like, I want to make a drastic decision, whether that's like, I'll catch myself sometimes. Like I'm just going to go pull out a bunch of money and go to the casino and just, just like, just to do, <laughs> do reckless shit. Or like, I'm just going to quit my job and maybe that will give me like this spark to like really focus on what I really want to do. Which is very, very. <laughs> I don't know if that's always as someone with experience. That, I don't <laughs> yeah, know if that always experience. works out in the way that you. Yeah. Think. Well, I. Yeah, part of me wants to do that, and then there's the part of me that's like, obviously, the responsible side of me is like, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to like, you don't have enough saved up to do that. You don't have, you know, you have responsibilities stuff to take care of you can't really you're not in a place to do that right now mm-hmm. and then part of me is like why aren't you in that place where you're, where you can do that right now sure. you shouldn't you should be better with your money by now you're you know you're 33 years old you should be doing this like comparison stuff too happens i don't compare myself to other people as much it's mostly comparison uh, so like an ideology of what you think you what should I should be. be, where I should be. Like if you would have talked to me like 15 years ago, uh, and you told me that I was living alone, um, that I had my own place, I'd be, I'd be happy about that. But I would be so upset that I was not married and having kids right now hmm. or already had kids. Like that was my plan. Like, um, when I was that age, like I was like so ready to be like, a dad and so ready to be a husband like that was like what i wanted to do because i you know i grew up i was fortunate to have good parents that were there and that have been together for Mm -hmm. 38 years (laughs) so and which is almost an anomaly now like so many of my friends their parents were divorced or you know the second or third marriages Mm -hmm. and they did not witness the things I did or grow around, grow up around the people that I did. Um, like I just hung out with my grandma the other day, um, and my last grandparent. I lost three grandparents throughout COVID, Ooh. none from COVID. Well, directly, um, two of them were in a nursing home, and I think that didn't help because I couldn't. We sure they were like prisons. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah so losing grandparents was was rough but being able to talk to my just over the last couple of years I never had a one-on-one conversation with my grandma until the last couple of years Oh really? Cuz my grandpa was always there. Yeah. Or somebody else was there with me like it was a family event. So now I can talk to my grandma one-on-one and she's told me like all this stuff and like and uh having her say like she's proud of me and like really like loves what I'm doing and that means a lot to me and like also like I realize like even just putting in minimum effort in relationships with your family or your friends goes a long way because there's a lot of people that don't do that any amount of effort any it makes a huge difference in anything that you do. It's literally just all you have to do is some effort and like I could happen. just me just texting my grandma every once in a while like makes her day. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but me going up there and like going out to launch there, she doesn't let me pay for anything. I stopped trying. Um, and then she gave me money when I was leaving. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I don't need this. But yeah. she like, it, like it made her feel let good. Let her so feel like, good. Yeah. Whatever. All right. Um, and yeah, that relationship has gotten so much. I mean, it's always we've always had a good relationship, but it's been more like one on one and more intimate of a relationship than yeah. it ever has been, which is awesome. That's amazing. I had a really close relationship with my grandmother, and she, as she was the last grandparent that I had, but I always had a close relationship. But her and I had a very special bond, unlike any of my cousins or her other grandchildren. And I think she'd be very proud of me today. She gave me a lot of really good life lessons. Some t- some of them I have jokes about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's remarkable what you can learn from someone who's lived. Yeah. You know, and you even when times are different, being human doesn't change. And you can get really meaningful, meaningful conversations. But also, like, the love that you have for a grandparent is not like anything else that you'll have with anyone you know, it's it's a really cool thing, and it's amazing that you have a grandparent still in your thirties, right? Like, yeah. a lot of people don't have that, especially someone like me, where because I was the second family for both of my parents, my grandparents were much much older. Most of my cousins on my dad's side were actually my mom's age, so like, I didn't have it. It's every every family is different, but it's mm-hmm. it's cool to speak with someone and learn from them who's lived beyond your parents years oh yeah i think it's amazing yeah that's very cool yeah she's in her uh she's in her 80s she's 84 okay so and yeah she's a retired er nurse and uh she was a nurse for over 30 years just uh (laughs) a beast of a woman it's ridiculous yeah she um yeah, she raised and she raised three boys, <laughs> um, which I can only imagine. My grandma and my mom like they're late. I have good relationships with both of them, and that's one of the reasons. Like people, like I have friends that tell me that I'm picky when it comes to women. I'm mm-hmm. just like, if you understood, like if you grew up the way I did, you wouldn't know why. Yeah, because. Uh, you know, they set the bar very high as far as for what ty- a type of woman that I want to have in my life. Yes. And um, I can't settle for less than that. I will stay single. I will die alone <laughs> before I settle for something less than I deserve. I mean, I think that's, that's, like, that's um, so important, though. I can relate, though, because my mom is a remarkable woman, and my brother hasn't dated in eight, nine years you know, has chosen very different life than I ever did. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, it's interesting is where my mom keeps wanting me to like find someone and what have you. But for me, like I, it's going to require a really significant person. One for me, even the idea of bringing them around my son. Oh yeah. Is, is huge. That's a huge like factor as well. And because of that, I have raised my bar of what I'm willing to accept for me, which is great. But I keep thinking about like my brother has all of this work that he has to do in order to be able to offer like someone, a high quality woman, something that would make her want to be with him. And he has a lot of opportunity, but it's interesting where 
my mom has set such a high bar that it's I can see why he doesn't put in the effort or try to get the things that he needs to do to be that person for someone else because the person that he's searching for doesn't exist. Yeah. And part of me, it's also, there's like this interesting paradox too, though, is where, and it made my mom really uncomfortable when I started to bring it up in an objective conversation. Hmm, Um, Of course. But ultimately is my mom wants me to have like this really good person and good partnership and relationship. But every time I talk about my brother, he's, he's such a good guy. He's blah, 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 blah. But if I brought someone home that was like in my brother's position with an experience, I would be settling. And I also think there's a weird thing where now that I'm a boy mom too, how I parent and how I set the expectations of for my son of what types of woman or whatever he's going to be interested in not being overly amazing because that's not setting the right expectation of what's actually going to be out there. Mm-hmm. So it's, I don't know, it's been an interesting thing where my brother is likely going to be alone and he wants a family. He wants to be in a relationship. He wants to be a father, but I've not met a woman like my mom or I've not met a woman like me in many aspects of the things and skill sets that I bring. And it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing for guys it's, that have high expectations. Yeah, finding a diamond in the rough is not easy. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's just funny, too, how you can have the same parent and depending on your experiences have very different outcomes and expectations where I've always historically have settled for much less. And now I'm not willing to do that. Yeah. But, yeah. It's not. But I think it's hard to find a really ama- – it depends what you're looking for, but I think – it's hard being a man that wants a high quality woman. I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with you. And that's not to bash women no. in any way, but it the is gender very norms hard. have changed a lot. It's um, different. It's totally different. I I don't know. <laughs> it's uh I don't wanna say it. a lot of my listeners are women, so I don't want to piss anyone off. Um yeah, I don't know. It's just like my my mom and my grandma were very traditional women, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what I grew up around. And that's um, I'm not saying I want somebody that doesn't have a career or doesn't have their own goals or you know that just is in the kitchen all the time, just sure. waiting for me. And like, I don't want that. Doesn't need to be the case, but. I'm sure there's a lot of women that want that. And it's interesting because that's the life that I want, but I never thought it was an option for me. Uh, So I proved I got the career, I got the degree, I got the debt associated with it that keeps me from ever being able to be in a position to do that. But I think for our generation, being a stay-at-home mom was not an option anymore. Mm. That was never positioned like you could find someone, get married, and have a family. I've never, never once growing up did it ever cross my mind that that's something I could do. So I think that's why it's almost harder to find someone because in my age group, I mean, we're roughly the same age, but never once until I became older and actually cared about what was important for living. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And the older I get, the harder it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, or dating someone who already has a kid or kids of their own. And, um, that's a whole nother different bar. Like, you know, not only is she 
going to be a good partner, but is she a good mom? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's a huge thing. And also, you know, it's hard to develop. a. Re- and if she is a good mom, it's hard to develop a good relationship with her because She's you're not it. you're not number one on, right. the, on the list. Right. Which I understand why. But, but it, that's hard. But it's tough. Yeah. 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 Totally. Um, yeah, that's uh, yeah. We talked a lot about dating on that podcast, so um, yeah, it's a lot. It'll already be released once this is released. So it's called Deck Diaries. So definitely look that up awesome. if you are listening. Um, but yeah, I'll be interested to hear, uh, <laughs> and I'm definitely gonna get some laughs out of it. But hopefully, learn something when I listen to it again about myself and the way I, yeah the way I treat myself the way I talk to myself I've gotten a lot better I mean it's and especially with taking compliments and you know when multiple people have told me certain things I'm like okay all right that not everyone's just lying to me you know yeah <laughs> like, I think the one thing that I've learned in terms of like manifesting and you know being able to make changes in your life is you have to treat yourself how you want to be treated you have to treat yourself how you want to treat a partner and once you do that it the universe works in a, a mysterious way mysterious way you know? yeah. um but it's you have to love yourself first that's the biggest piece of any relationship and i think why my marriage failed is we both didn't love ourselves enough to love each other enough. Yeah. I think I, I think I, I don't think I hate myself. There's nothing like that. Like I do love myself, but I think I also just like, I'm like an overbearing parent to myself. Like I like expect more. Like I'm one of those parents, like mm-hmm. that's never proud of his kid. Like I'm or you that to push myself them to do more. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. that to myself. Mm. So, and it comes from a, it comes from a loving place, sure. but it's just like, it's, it's a weird dynamic and, um, and it doesn't, yeah, I think it's just, uh, it has some things to do with like, I missed out on a lot of years of development because of my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, many years, like some people say like, this is uh, something I've heard from a couple people that have, you know, been in recovery for a long time and been abstinent from substances and also worked on themselves. Uh, is basically one that when you start drinking, using drugs, whatever you were doing, that is when you're kind of put a pause on really developing, mm-hmm. and so when you stop using you're kind of going back to that age and starting from that age because like that whole time was kind of on like your your development was on pause Mm -hmm. so for me i basically went back if we're looking at it that way i don't fully believe that i understand the importance of it and some of it does make sense you can fast track growth. Yeah. So I went back to, if we're doing that, I went back to 15, like 14, oh 15. Yeah. <laughs> so from 27 back to 15. And I'm, and I'm like remembering like who I was before that. Like 
up until that. And I was like, I'm not even the person, the, the, the person I was then I'm like probably like 75% there, um, of what, of catching up to some of the, like the good qualities that I had and like the, and like habits and behaviors, habits and, and behaviors discipline. and discipline mm-hmm. and the lack of like, if you talk to some of like my friends that like I had, a, I got this whole new friend group when I turned, when I went to high school, um, I still had a couple friends from, from grade school, but when I, once I went to high school, I latched on to a group of friends and I remember being introduced. At least I was told I was introduced as like, you got to meet this guy. He's, he's wild. Like I was like, I just didn't care like Mm -hmm. about like what other people like legitimately did not care what people thought about me. I wasn't one of those people that went around saying it either. Um, I like legitimately didn't care. And I would do anything for the laugh anything i got kicked out of class all the time didn't care <laughs> like as long as i got the laugh it was worth it huh That's like so interesting yeah and i did that yeah throughout high school and then 15 16 like i don't really say i would go back that far with me because that wasn't really when it got bad it got bad more in my early 20s so mm. but so i don't think i missed out on as many years as i really think but um but yeah crucial my, development years though crucial yeah um, early adulthood. 20s yeah becoming an adult like and dealing with that i think i like went against it hmm. that's so i just have such a different experience in that <laughs> yeah but i know a lot of people that have gone through that and i think me i was always too scared to do drugs and i was the nerdy girl that didn't get invited to parties i played cello and like wove baskets from willow tree branches in my spare time like i didn't i didn't have you're doing drugs with stripping maybe yeah so like yeah like all of like the secret deviant work a lot of like impulse spending was another one that i did which has kind of kept me in a trap of going back because i liked having money in my pocket while also having a salary Mm. like it was very i had a lot of money at my exposal and disposal and i was not wise with it Mm. at all yeah um i created i created a big facade for myself more than anybody um but I would I would still put myself in really risky situations and meet people in weird ways and never speak up when I was uncomfortable. It took me until I was almost 35, 36 to actually speak up when I felt uncomfortable. And I still need work on it in the moment. Mm-hmm. It, I'll, I'm really good at now like following up with someone or writing out my thoughts because I don't like to re- react emotionally. I'm not a like I don't yell or freak out i just i internalize a lot of that but it's still so hard for me to say hey that's a little messed up or that makes me uncomfortable in the moment yeah it's still so hard for me and i understand um i was peer pressured into a lot of things but i i went through years of self-harm in high school i was i did a lot of self-harm um in more ways than I'd like to admit, but it was just, yeah. I can't change the past in that. But that was, that was my drug and that was my drinking and that was me. Being Your a escape. Rebel. Yeah. 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 
So that's what it's really all about it, with uh, when I was using was escaping reality. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all it was. And being someone that I wasn't. Yeah. Because yeah. I didn't like the person I was. And yeah, now I'm just building back and building into somebody that I do want to be without having to live a double life. Because I did... I can relate to the double life thing for sure. It was just different for yeah. me with what I was escaping with. Like a lot of people uh, didn't know to the extent of what I was doing when I was when I was partying. Like people thought I was just drinking, but that was and there was a lot more to it mm-hmm. than that. Yeah, and I even like hinted at that with my grandma. I didn't specifically tell her like you know I used to do this and this and that, but. I told her, hey, these are, you know, I don't, I don't go to the meetings that you think I go to. Sure. <laughs> like, and explain that to her. And she was really cool about it. She's just, she's not a, she's not a dweller on the past and she understands, you know, she's lived a lot of life. So yeah. she gets it. Like people can change. Um, You know, a lot of people don't change because they're not willing to put in the work, but people can definitely change. And that's how I feel about. I've met, you know, I've met people in comedy where they're like, yeah, you should probably stay away from that guy. And I'm like, well, I didn't meet the guy you're talking about. Right. You know, I had a lot of that. Had a lot of that. Yeah. It's like, I no, I take people for where they're at right now and meet them where they're at. And that's how the best way to approach it. Cause it's like, and I, and I don't know if those people like that are saying those things where they're coming from and what they're trying to do by saying those things to me, if they're mm-hmm. trying to protect me or if they're trying to Sub- subconscious sabotage sometimes too. Yeah. A lot of people aren't aware of what they're doing when they try to seek or present information. It reminds me though, I, I worked with a few different coaches and there was a coach that I can't afford <laughs> that was gracious to give me 15 minutes of his time to just kind of check in. And he asked me one of the most profound questions and it's so simple and I really had to digest it. And I've have so many bits of writing. It's actually what pushed me committed to actually finish my book. But he asked me, are you being who you are? And then furthermore, he went into to ask myself this question is, who do I need to be to become who I am? And having a clear understanding of who you are and I am without it being limited to like a career job or more of the physical space, but in terms of like your character and value. If, and what I is everything that I'm doing and what I'm being in this moment, is that being a step closer or in alignment with who I am? And it's really hard to face that because in most cases, most of what we do is not in alignment with who we are. Because it's influenced by other people, and we yeah. don't want to become aware of it. But that's yeah, and I think I noticed that a lot, and I noticed that by you know what I do for work, and I'm just like, this isn't. I I can't be who I can't really mm-hmm. fully be who I am here. I can kind of be who I am, but at the same time, it's like 
I, I, I can't do this forever. I mean, that kind of reminds me of now that I'm looking for work, what I plan on doing is I'm literally looking for organizations that are like, bring your full self to work. And I'm going to be adding on my resume, my experience as a stripper, as a dominatrix and all these things and trying to relate mm -hmm. to what that is to the job description. If you truly want to bring their full self to work, I highly expect that I'm just going to get some like HR recruiters following me on Instagram because I'm going to make their day. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's hard because we who we are is the complex makeup of our poor previous decisions that is who you are but it's because how you know who you are is by what you know what you're not going to do again or don't want to bring yourself back to um you're not limited to just that there's yeah yeah you, you get to create that but it's work it goes back to the effort that yeah you the effort it's, is it's very work. important effort and Discipline and consistency is really what it boils down to. And it's it can sound a lot easier than it really is. Yeah. But it is not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's worth it. That it, Like you said earlier, it's very much worth it. And, yeah, the th therapy is important. Um, my thing with therapy is... I, it's the consistency. I haven't had a consistent therapist in a while. I've kind of been had a couple in the, in the last over the last like six months or so, and that's been frustrating. I need to get back into seeing someone consistently. I have a guy I'm seeing now, but he's it's through work. It's through the employee assistance program, so I only get thirty minute sessions, and they're mm -hmm. like, it, we can hardly get into anything the surface. it's yeah. rough yeah. and luckily i got him to add more sessions but still it's been frustrating and um you know i had a psychiatrist appointment today that i was supposed to have and it got moved and they never told me and mm. whew, i was like i was really mad about that and this is a psychiatrist i've been seeing for at least three to four Four, probably four years now and I don't want to switch because it's like I don't want to start over with somebody but at the same time it's like that was uh not cool this area is <laughs> really hard for good care in I'm gonna this is somebody in Iowa City this isn't somebody here oh wow yeah, I, I I know the I know yeah. the level of care. <laughs> I, I I know the level of care here is not great. I went outside. So yeah. yeah, yeah. I I went out. Yeah, oh, I can see that. That's a commitment for you, right? To take that drive to go out there to find. I see her just... virtually now, okay. Okay. Uh, but I was working in Iowa City. Okay. Then, so I would make appointments on obviously days I was working before, either, usually after work. Got it. Or my lunch break or yeah. something. Okay. Yeah. So Iowa City was accessible to me as well hmm. and now it's even more accessible because i see her virtually but yeah that was uh i kind of had a feeling it was gonna happen because tomorrow's a holiday mm -hmm. but when she's like she's like yeah we had to reschedule your appointment to wednesday I'm like at this time hope it still works i'm like well it doesn't <laughs> so hope where, isn't enough. <laughs> where are we going with this yeah so it's uh but I uh, luckily it's gonna be a little while till I talk to her and I'll be able to cool down because I wanted to snap. We're pretty aligned on a lot of stuff and we're actually trying to get into more um, 
more holistic, not holistic or more, more natural remedies, uh, for medication. Cause I've been on medication since I was mm-hmm. 13, 14, uh, for anxiety, OCD and depression. So trying to get that correct has been an experiment for a while now. And we're moving more and she's doing a lot more, um, research and getting certifications and, uh, on those type of remedies, like whether it's psilocybin or like even like, which saying things like that, or even bring it up and thinking about it is like kind of scary to me as coming from being a person that used drugs, hmm. but I never used those drugs. I never, I was, I was always scared to do anything that was like, like LSD, any hallucinogen. Sure. Cause I was like, Oh, I was like, I'm going to be the guy that has the bad experience. And that's sure. So I was always scared of that. I had a healthy fear of that. Like you had a healthy fear of all drugs. I wish I had that healthy fear. Um, I was also really, I was curious. Yeah. Well, the curious piece, I was just never curious enough. I just never cared enough. That's good. But I, it's interesting is I was highly medicated as a kid and then kind of going through a lot of trauma, had a lot of depression, anxiety, and I've actually been on zero medications for the last year, including medications that I had for a lot of like health autoimmune concerns. A lot of it was when I left my husband and my life exponentially got less stressful and traumatic yeah stress Um, can cause a lot of problems yeah but it's it's interesting though like where i know i likely could benefit from something like that but it's i'm not in a position where i can get back on that immediately um but it's it's finding the balance and being okay with being on the right medications for what your needs are that don't conflict with your behaviors or Mm -hmm. the tendencies to want to use or abuse in any sense. But less is always more for the brain when you give yourself permission to actually experience reality without whatever it is. But it's also not worth experiencing reality when you just need help and support. I, I legitimately have a, from what I've been told, have a chemical imbalance in my brain. I haven't uh, researched that further or done further testing in a long time, but I was told that at a very young age. Hmm. Um, So, and I've tried no medication uh, and it did not go well for me at all. Um, Not suggesting you or anybody to just. No, no, no. No, I know. I know what you're saying, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. It it was not a good, it was not a good time either. It wasn't good timing. There was a lot of other there was other factors as well, but man, that depression was really bad, and uh, yeah, I haven't experienced depression like that since. Thank God. But hmm. are you familiar with Enneagram personality tests? Yep, I am. Do you know what your numbers are? Uh, I always forget. Okay, so I'm a four wing three, but definitely a four, and mine is all about deep feeling and emotion and experiencing pain is just as beautiful as pleasure and i can get down a dark rabbit hole mm-hmm. with all of that and i think that's also part of the reason with when i experience depression is when i'm depressed i like feeling depressed because i'm still feeling mm-hmm. and it's it's addicting but it's yeah so that's not good either yeah there's, <laughs> there's <laughs> gets you in a, ba- in a pretty bad place but it's everybody's got their own journey their own timeline and the fact that you're going to someone and talking about it and even questioning if you're doing the right thing just shows that you're being 
cognizant of it. And that's, yeah, that's and having really outlets important. too is helpful. Like I've gone, like you know, I've I've been really depressed and been like. I need to go to the open mic tonight, like, yeah. and just like I'll just, <laughs> I'll just go off on stage or whatever, do whatever, and I'll feel so much better just because of that, or just human interaction in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and not doing what I want to do when I'm depressed, and that's isolate and not talk to anyone. Shut off my, f- I want to shut off my phone and uh, not talk to anyone. It's part of the reason that I did comedy because I knew I would get really depressed if I allowed my circumstances to just keep me inside. Yeah. And it was just forcing me to go out there and then I would tell people, which would hold me accountable to actually showing up. And that's part of the reason that I do so much promotion on the social media now too, is one, just kind of build the habit, but two, is my tendency is to just not go. Yeah. Not show up or whatever. But But I don't... I care about my reputation of just not disappointing other people or not doing what I say I'm going to do. Yeah. So it's, I don't know, it's hard, but it's good that you use that space for getting it out because everyone wants to hear what you have to say when you go to the mics. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's fun. Uh, it's gotten to be, and I've, was also worried for a little while like i haven't written anything in a while now like recently i've been writing like a lot more which is really good that's great um i think it just took me giving myself a little bit of a break i wasn't doing as much comedy or as many mics as i I, if it was up to me i would do a mic every night yeah but i can't um i've even thought about doing that as like a drastic measure like Selling my house, buying a van, and just driving. There's a comedian I can introduce you to in the Chicagoland area that lives in his van. He does just that and might make you just rethink it. (laughs) (laughs) Based on where he's gotten. It just depends what you want. Yeah. Like what your goals are. Like if there's, if your goals are not that, you know, a family and all, like do it. But it's, um, yeah, it's a lifestyle, right? Like every oh, yeah. decision we have, it's aligned with the lifestyle that we're choosing. So. Yeah, yeah, I can't do that, but I want to. A part of me wants me to do it, wants to do it, or even just taking like, uh, I'm gonna start by doing like taking like a week off and doing that, like yeah, going to different places, um, and hitting as many mics as I can, different ones, like ones that I've never hit before. Like I haven't even been to like, have you been to Peoria? No, but someone was encouraging me to go next week, so I may, I may head head down to Peoria, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's a lot of history. Yeah, get get there before the building falls apart because it's, <laughs> I thought that was Davenport. No, was <laughs> oh yeah, too soon on that one. No, this is a historic club, but it's one of those where it's like okay. Um, it's like I looks like, the same. I like gritty. Yeah, it's gritty. Environment. From what I've heard, I've never been there, but from what I've seen and from what I've been told, like it's very like original. Yeah, OG. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah, it. It's very OG. I love it. Well, I think we're a little over time, and I paid attention for once, <laughs> so that's good. But I appreciate your time, and I look forward to seeing what you have to do with the comedy and the podcasting and all your creative outlets uh 
gotta love the fellow creatives that are out there yeah and obviously just sharing your story i really really admire that when people do that because more people need to be doing it because you'll be surprised at uh the number of people that will reach out to you like people reach out to me randomly and really just like have a lot of respect for just what i'm doing just by putting myself out there yeah, and everyone has a story, and I think exactly that's, no one. Has I'm no a better, better than anyone else yeah. for doing this. Yeah, it's just allowing your, it's giving yourself permission to do it, yeah. and and, it, and that's uncomfortable, but also hopefully inspirational. And for me, my goal is I love helping people, and I love learning about people. Mm-hmm. And if there's a way that I can help and learn about others, and know that it was made some sort of meaningful difference when someone was in a hard place that's all I need. But I really appreciate you having me on and just kind of sharing and, and learning about the work that you've been doing too. This has been awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks.